welcome everybody to another episode of the podcast. Uh, this is Game Busters. We are a podcast from GameLuster.com. Uh, today we are going to talk about a big video game, um, so big that you've maybe even heard of it because of... Uh, so now, big you maybe even live in it. You maybe even live in it. It's two big guys. Now imagine if I told you that the whole world is on the back of two big guys and they're just sort of fucking fighting each other and you're on one of them. And what if I told you that this was actually Australia? Would you be surprised? No, you would not. Only a little. Um, so, yeah, today we are, uh, you know, uh, we're back at it. Um, you know, every week here we... Uh, so, oh, by the way, quickly, Alyssa still has COVID, so that's why she's not here. Um, she has... Get better soon. Yeah, uh, hopefully she gets better soon. She has been, like, actually sick for, like, two weeks, which really sucks. Um, yeah. Um, but anyway, so she will be back on as soon as she's well. Um, but yeah, today we are uh, talking about the history and legacy of Xenoblade Chronicles, um, which is a, a fun little game you may have heard of. Uh, of course, a spinoff of Smash Bros. featuring the character Shulk. Um, Here I thought it was a spinoff of Project Cross Zone. Um, now, is that a Persona reference? No. Okay, I don't understand it then. Um so Persona yeah it has not yet appeared in project cross zone which makes it one of five games uh total nice hmm. uh is that like is that like a crossover game or something yeah is that? okay it, it been so uh namco and capcom decided that they wanted to have a crossover game okay uh then they decided wait a second we also want to do a crossover game with the super robot wars games but we want to do a crossover game with our Super Robot Wars games that doesn't involve any of the licensed properties, but does involve all these other licensed properties from these other video games that we that most of which we own. So let's do that. And that's Project Cross Zone. Huh, that it's sounds right. Capcom, uh, Bandai, some, yeah, some Bandai, some Namco, uh, I mean, it's all Bamco now, but, and then a few this, things here and there. Yeah, this is not what the podcast is about. Um, so, um, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, Nirov, and I'm going to be your, uh, Titan host today. Um, well, it's somewhat just... relevant because Cosmos and Telus are in it, just like the game we're talking about. Oh, okay. Well, the um, series we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Nirov, and, uh, everyone get on my back. I'm, I'm going to be the Bionis, I think. Um. So, yeah, I'm joined by local no-pawns, um, Patrick. Howdy. And uh, Tim. Tim is an honorable, reliable no-pawn. Correct. Tim, Tim, you can be hero-pawn. I am the hero-pawn. Um, all right, so, you know, real quickly, we got a little bit of a meaty episode, so we'll just kind of, uh, to warm up, uh, what's everyone playing this week? So, Patrick, what have you been playing recently? Uh, I've been playing uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Okay. And uh, like lands. Never heard I've of it. Also, uh... <laughs> yeah, been seeing a lot of time into it. Like yeah, lands I think I saw you game. finished it today, or you hit the credits at least. I finished it the other day. Yeah. Okay. So, how much more of the game do you have to play now that you've hit the credits? Um. Well, I just kept playing after I hit okay. the credits. <laughs> yeah. But I have one. It's a, it's a Xeno series game. Hitting the credits doesn't mean anything. 
Yes. Uh, infamously, Xenosaga 2 was mo- more post-credit than pre-credit. Wow. Um, that, yeah, that's. I mean, that's what the people are in. They love the post-game now. Everyone's yeah. clamoring for that post-game. I mean, um, there are some games where the, there's nothing good before the, the, the credits, like uh, right. Tales of Legendia. But I digress. I've been playing uh, Symphony of the Night Randomizer. Oh, nice. I uh, Yeah, I guess that makes sense that there's a randomizer for that. Um, yep. I've never seen it before, but... I, I did my, my first run. I got... Uh, my starting equipment was literally in-game material. Um, I started off with the God Garb and the Alucard Shield and got a library card, so I got to keep it all for the entire game. Nice. And then it made me go to literally every single corner of the map to get the last Vlad Relic so I could beat the game. That's what the randomizer is for. Yep. Um, yeah, I... Uh, let's see. What have I been doing? Um, I just finished... Uh, I finished Sleeping Dogs the other day, and it has become somehow like one of my favorite games ever. I got so into it. I finished... I played the entire thing in one weekend, like 16 hours or something of it. Um, and uh, and the DLC, the Year of the Snake DLC, like the story one. Um, I didn't do the vampire one yet, but also a lot of people told me it was like bad. So, so what is the most ridiculous traffic pileup you've caused in Sleeping Dogs? Well, okay, probably my favorite like traffic incident was that I uh, I hit a, a woman, and and like I have to say, like at the first half of the game, I was like, if I like hit somebody like a civilian, I was like, oh no no, I got I got to restart. And then like as I got farther in, I was like, these people are so expendable, like. Like, you know, um, but I did actually, um, (laughs) I hit this woman and she like went flying and she like flew into like a street lamp and then like ragdolled around it and then like wrapped around it like a, like a snake maybe. And then, uh, sort of like became part of the, part of the pole. And then she got up and kept going like nothing happened. That one, she did not get up from that one. Um, Some other folks did, uh, definitely. Like, oh, I love, I loved when I, I, like, (laughs) I accidentally, like, uh, I was trying to, like, hire the taxi. You know, it's like, it's like hold the same button that is, like, the hijack button. Yeah. (laughs) But it's like, but, like, it keeps on purpose. Yeah. It kept accidentally, like, I accidentally hijacked it and I was like, uh, the guy just Accidentally. like, yeah, I like the guy. And I was like, no, no, this is too far. I'm not driving it. Get back in the car. I was like trying to like push him back in the car. Like, <laughs> so I could like hire him again. Um, and then he was just being a jackass. And I was like, you're blocking the whole road, man. Like, and they'll just stand there forever. Um, but, um, anyway, so I really, can you pet the sleeping dogs in that game? Um, in the deal to let them lie. Yeah. <laughs> In the it, like you can do it in the DLC, but it's really not in the spirit of the game. Hmm. Just as long as you don't hit any sleeping dogs. Yeah, don't hit them. That's important. Um, I was like very anguished to find out about the canceled sequel and like tried and and all that stuff too. But um, it looks like Embracer Group has bought the IP now, along with the other things. So like I I'm I'm guessing there will be another game eventually. Uh, at this point. Maybe you can get Naughty Dog to work on it. Have a Naughty Dog sleeping dog. Not, no, that's not bad. Um, yeah, so then... Oh, and the other game I played was Contrast recently. It was uh, that indie game from uh, Compulsion Games. Um, very interesting game. I liked it. It wasn't amazing. Um, 
it ended. It didn't con- like it stopped yeah. rather than had a problem. That's what I was like the whole the whole like the whole time I was like at the end part I was like ah I can see they ran out of money here. Where yeah. where'd the money as, go? As I as I commented on on Discord, it is the part oneiest complete game. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually started because it's on Game Pass. I actually played a few hours of We Happy Few yesterday uh, just to kind of see what what happened there, and they also seem to have run out of money again. Um. I hear they got a little bit more and made some DLC. Yeah. Which was what everybody wanted them to make in the first There's place. actually a fascinating story about um, what happened with that and Gearbox's interference as the publisher. I'm I know Randy Pitchford was not directly involved, but I am gonna choose to blame him. Yeah. Um, Listen, it, it doesn't go pew pew and it doesn't have tiny Tina, he doesn't care. Right. Like it, same same thing, like if something goes wrong with like Wolfenstein Youngblood, like I'm gonna blame Todd Howard. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that's just how things go. Yep, it's management's um, fault if something yeah. goes wrong. Besides, we, we all know what dark contracts they all signed. <laughs> all right. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into the into the shit. Um, so we are going to be talking about uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, really focusing on the development of the first game. Um, but we also, I do, I do want to like, um, we'll do that. We'll do our pitch meeting first. But after that, I think it'd be a good idea to preface it with a little bit of info about the. Um, previous uh xeno gears and xeno saga stuff um so yeah let's we're gonna go right into the pitch meeting though so i don't know uh if tim Tim, you've been here for one of these yeah okay so everybody close your eyes it's 2006 okay um and what i'm gonna do is as always check what movies came out in 2006 so you can kind of get in the right mindset um family reunion uh, that's a big one. She's the man. Uh, that was pretty big. Um, the live-action Japanese Death Note movie came out. Uh, Superman Returns. Really? That was that late? Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, the, oh, the fucking horrible Aragon movie. Um, Pan's Labyrinth, Night at the Museum. Okay. This is a weird year for movies. Accepted. That was a good movie. Um, Casino Royale. Okay. Vendetta. Not bad. All right. So just get yourself in this mindset. We're in a weird place with movies right now. All right. But you've just walked out of a a showing of She's the Man, and um, you are headed over to meet with Nintendo. So you guys are going to be from Monolith Soft. um, And uh, you can see in the outline there is a picture here of the model itself. So pretty famously for this pitch, rather than creating a tech demo, uh, the, uh, the folks over at Monolith Sift, uh, Monolith Soft, sorry, uh, mostly, you know, Takahashi being kind of crazy. Tetsuya Takahashi, by the way, being the, the director and creator of this game. Um, he, uh, decided that, uh, the only way to really tell the executives what he was going to do was to bring a gigantic model of, like, uh, of the two titans that the game Xenoblade Chronicles takes place on the back of. Uh, locked in combat for the rest of eternity so um you can look that up it's pretty impressive it's a good model it looks good um but anyway so you guys have just walked into my office i'm i'm mr nintendo and you are carrying this big model and you guys are going to pitch me on the idea for xenoblade chronicles and get me to fund it all right all right welcome wow that's uh that's uh is that the the is that the game there yes and no Okay. So you remember how we made um, Xenogears with the giant robots? Yeah. But we don't have the rights to it anymore. 
Right, and, uh, and people. And we decided, uh, and we, then we made Xenosaga with with the giant robots, and yeah. we don't have the rights to it anymore. That's correct. By the way, are we going to be able to keep the rights? To, please say we can keep the rights to this. We'd hate to not have the rights to this. This is what I'll do. Uh, what I can do for you is that we'll keep the rights for it now, but we're going to buy you in six years anyway. So then you'll effectively have the rights back. I guess that works. Okay. Anyways, what we decided the problem with both of those was was the mechas weren't big enough. Because you were only in them. You were only fighting with them. What we need to do is have people living on them. So what you see here is the world map. This oh. isn't the, the, these aren't the monsters that they, you fight. These aren't the mechs you fight with. This is the map. You see, you see that part, that blade that's being stabbed right there? That's a metropolitan area of about 6,000, 7,000 people, at least. Oh. Right on the head there, that's a military base. The knee... That's a forward assault. That is, in fact, a uh, that's a, that's hollowed out. They're going to launch ships from it at one point. Wow! So there's a lot of guys running around on this. Oh yeah, um, a lot of people. Okay, what kind of game is this? Is this like a a, a turn based thing or it's what are we kind of like a MMO actually? Yeah. But oh, so this is totally single player. player. Okay, this is a single player MMO. Yeah, uh, a massively single player n- offline game. Yeah, an, an S-M-O-R-P-G. Yeah, smorg. Um, well, we haven't really it's done one of these uh, before. We've we've done a, a few, uh, you know, JRPGs um, in the past. We've Well, like, uh, like most Nintendo games, the story is really important. The mm-hmm. protagonist, he has a really strong voice, and it's his and the gang's and, story. And like Mario, the... he has an accent. Okay, now I'm interested. People like the Mario accent. So, uh, this, uh, is this going to be another young boy that wakes up in a village and he's late to the festival? He is a young boy, but he's not late for a festival. Okay. He's late for destiny. Okay. Interesting. Maybe we can put that on the box. So imagine if Mario and Link Mm -hmm. were trapped in a transporter accident and out came and, 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 and a little bit of Samus, because that's his sword. He's got a future sword. Samus is the sword. Yeah. Okay. Because the sword has a personality. Doesn't ah. talk much, but it, it, it has a will of its own. Okay. Uh, so- Soul Eater is out, right? Is, this, is that does that exist yet? Actually, I think it does. Hold on. Um, it, it's I mean, far from... I think the manga would have been out, right? See, Soul Eater. I don't know. That was just my first thought of the sword is alive. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, no, it first came out in 2004, so it would have been out. Great. Yeah, we love it. Um, yeah, so now I understand the concept of... The, now, does the sword talk? Can we give it a goofy voice? It communicates through visions. Mm. Doesn't this seem a little bit serious? You know, we're, we're we really absolutely have a goofy voice. It's okay. just not the sword. Okay. It's our mascot character. There it is. I was looking for some sort of Kirby thing we can jam in here. Nothing so pure and wholesome. So what if it Kirby is marketable? What if Kirby had twelve kids and he had to go on the adventure to get make sure to put food on the table for his So it's DDD, not Kirby. Okay, this all sounds pretty serious for uh for a Nintendo. So this is you're thinking more of like an epic JRPG here. Yes. Okay, so, all right. But they're well, all Australian. Oh. 
Okay. Um, that's the one with the kangaroos. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. Well, um, yeah. If you, uh, I like this. Now, which one do I live on? Uh, the the green one or the the metal one? Well, seeing as you're a person, you live on the person, the biological one, not the uh-huh. mechanical one. Okay. At, it's at this point that I poke the sculpture wolf. and its head falls off. And that oh. activates the failsafe. Interesting. All yeah, right. See, well, spoiler alert, that's going to happen later in the story. Wow, you've actually crafted the entire inside of this model, too. Yes. If you'll note here, there's tiny little uh, creatures that we created. We actually created a entire ecosystem in miniature. We've created crimes against uh, humanity and science, and uh, got a little bit of uh, Todd Howard's Dark Pact in there. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um. I think I think Morrowind came out here. Um. <laughs> maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, I mean, actually, technically speaking, the previous games in the series were even more massive than Morrowind. That's true. Um, okay, well, um, yeah, I think, actually, side note, I think Daggerfall is still the biggest video game to ever exist, the map size. Technically, yeah, because um, it's procedurally generated for basically forever. Yeah. Um, okay, well, anyway, thank you guys. Um, we will, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to greenlight this. What I'm thinking is maybe we... Uh, I want this to kind of be a, the modern JRPG, you know? We don't want to just do Final Fantasy again. Because at this point, people are kind of tired of the Final Fantasy. Um, they, they keep thinking, like, is this really the last final? Is this really the final one? I mean, really? Is it the last story, you mean? <laughs> oh! A reference to a thing we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> You're saying um, RPG of the future. You better not mean Waggle Controls. Okay. Please well, let us use a classic controller for this game. Okay. Well, you know, uh, you will. It will have mandatory waggle controls, but you can also allow uh, folks to use the. Uh, um, hmm. No, no. I want it. I want it all. I want it raw. I want it all waggle all the time. Um, so yeah, I would you like. I would like for you to design this very serious epic uh, RPG around waggling the remote in your living room. Um, great. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to have that shipped out in, uh, I think four years. So I would probably jump on that. Sounds pretty difficult. Um, got those Wii dev kits yet? Probably not. Get to work. <laughs> um, all right. So that was a, a recreation of the, the pitch meeting. And so we've learned a little bit about, um, what this game is. So let me again, preface it. Um, just if anyone's super unfamiliar with this game, like, Literally, their only their only familiarity with Xenoblade is like Shulk being in Smash Bros. Um, also, so, Xenoblade Chronicles is the full title. I know it sounds like it should be the spinoff, but it's not. Right. Uh, the spinoff is called Xenoblade Chronicles X, which I guess sounds more like a spinoff. Yeah. Um, it sounds, it sounds, but it, it, I'm not wrong, am I? The, no, the, I mean, the it actual does. title sounds like it's the spinoff title. Yeah, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles is the Western name. Well, I was about the... to say, uh, one thing I noticed is that it's actually just called Xenoblade over there in, in, in Japan. Exactly. Um, the Chronicles is, is optional. Yeah. I wonder if it's. I wonder if the Chronicles thing is just to make it sound more like a long-running thing, you know what I mean? Um, I know, I'm not sure, but anyway. It might be to convey that it's British. 
A Chronicle is British? I don't I don't know that. Sounds more British at least. Maybe it does. So Xenoblade Chronicles is an open world uh, action JRPG where you are um, your main character is this kid named Shulk. Um, he comes from a village and that village is located as we said on the body of this titan called the Bionis. There's two titans in this world. The whole world basically as far as you know it is made up of two titans, the Bionis and the Mechanis that are Basically, that were frozen in, in locked combat a long time ago. Ellie's inspecting the screen now. Mm-hmm. Come back here. No. Um, okay, so basically it, it is a sort of... A, it has a lot of elements of traditional uh, JRPGs, but also definitely set the stage for a lot of the things we see in, in JRPGs today that are a little bit different than how they were in the, the 90s. So, um, like I said, it's an open world thing. You have a party, um, you have a colorful cast of characters, you gather as you travel across the land. Um, there is a war brewing between the robots that come from the Mechanis and the humans that live on the Mechanis. Or what are they called in this? They're not humans. They're like, um, they have a name for the, the what the humans are. What it, I'm, I'm blanking. Everybody has a different name for yeah. It's for whatever because. Like Final Fantasy has the Humes and hold on. Oh, the Homes, the Homes, yeah. Yeah, that's. Which is this? I guess the same. Okay, it's so basically the same. <laughs> and that's the thing. They all they all run together. Fair enough. Um. Okay. So yeah. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles is actually, it it is its own series. Um, and it is not canonically connected to the previous games in the same. I think Wikipedia used the word meta series. Which I yeah, guess that's is close. Probably yeah, what it Xenogears is. Xenogears and Xenosaga are their own thing, despite obvious references, and so is the Xenoblades. Yeah, so I uh, think it's fair to consider them part of a greater series, though. Like, yeah, they don't have the rights to use them unless they specifically My... license like Cosmos and stuff. But uh-huh. there's similar enough concepts, like the conduit. Um, or the Zohar my, that show up in every my, um, series, yeah. and they're they're supposed to be like cross dimension dimensional like powers. So it's basically implied that the games take place in different dimensions of the okay. same like linked by the Zohar. Exactly. My, you um, probably my comparison Chrono Trigger into that too. Oh, given certain cameos. My my comparison is like, which is probably not going to help anybody at all, but like, the the series of like like Steins Gate to like Robotics Notes and like Chaos Head and stuff. It's like that. That is the level of connectiveness that these have with each other. I'd say those which are is, even more connected. Think so? Well, yeah. No, I think they're canonically some characters from Robotic Notes are related to some people from Steins Gate. I know they're like sort of in the same universe, but to my knowledge, I, di- I didn't know that they like intersected at any point. Yeah. But anyway, regardless. So anyway, yeah, tell me a little bit about the the series that preceded this, Xeno Gears and, and Xeno Saga, because they were actually not Nintendo products. No. Um, both well, except for one of them, uh, they were oh, okay. all uh, Sony PlayStation One and Two games. Xenogears came out for PS1. Xenosaga all came out on the PS2, except for the side game Xenosaga Freaks, which was a phone game 
Um, and then Xenosaga 1 Plus 2, which was Japan only and came out on the DS. Oh, okay. And has never seen a translation patch, even today. Huh. Which is a shame, because it actually had a very interesting combat uh, set up. Yeah. So what what was the um what was the the gameplay like uh in those in those games? Uh okay, so Xenogears was it was turn-based, but it had um an interesting thing where as you leveled up, you could get more basically attack points or ability points and you could input specific combos. It's kind of similar character. to like a fighting game, how yeah. different characters have different combos that they can do. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then you could you had both your foot characters and your mech characters, with one exception, who was both. Tim, uh, is, is your shirt a Frozen and Doctor Who crossover? Yes, it is. Interesting. It's it's he's trapped in the ice, but there's a crack. Okay, I like this. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it dealt with uh, extremely Gnostic philosophy. Um, it had two largely, uh, like, they were linked, but also completely different from each other uh, battle systems that ran in, in completely the same engine. Like, you could leave your mech in a mech fight if you wanted. And in some occasions, this was a tactically advantageous move. Because sometimes your enemy, your mech enemies, couldn't hit your your people on feet because they there literally was a size modifier. They couldn't really do any damage to the mechs. But there's okay. also a section of the game where it's like a 3D arena battle yes. with the robot. Yeah, uh, which you can later replay as as a mini game. But yeah, they they actually put a fully featured 3D robot fighting game into their um 2D side uh you know side view turn-based RPG. This team was very ambitious. Some yeah. might say too ambitious. Well they they were both too ambitious and hampered by the fact that a lot of their uh their talent was getting poached for uh you know Square's big project at the time, which went by uh Final Fantasy VIII. Them and every other game. Like if you look at every game that came out in or around that year, all of them are unfinished in some way or another, except except Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, okay. Because Xenogears, uh, Saga Frontier, um, Valkyrie Profile to some extent, all of them have obvious, we wanted to do more here, but couldn't. Okay. Big contrast vibes. Um, so yeah, I, I also saw that the, um, the Xenogears and especially the, um, Xenosaga games, like, did not sell super well, even considering their own, their, their niche genre and everything like that. So, um, and I, I believe the last one before, what was the last Xenosaga game that they made before they went on to start working on Xenoblade? Um, yeah, Xenosaga 3. Okay, I believe that one sold like pretty abysmally. Like, it was not advertised at all. Mm. Was part of the problem. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that they killed it, but I don't think um, at any point were they really trying to support it. Yeah, and so like, I, I think also there, uh, I, I want to say that like, 
it, it, it was, it, I, I guess, like, what they've said, uh, what Takahashi has said, rather, that, like, the, the sales, were, they had put a lot of work into that. They had felt good about the product they put out, and essentially nobody bought their game. And, you know, team morale was low, and they realized that they needed to maybe move in a new direction. Um, and so uh, and it, it came to him in a dream. Uh, so Takashi said he, he kind of had a um, uh, a vision one day, uh, a, a Monado-like vision even, um, where uh, he saw the world on the back of two titans that were locked in combat, where everybody in the world lived on these two titans. Um, and he, he just like woke up the next day and was just like, one of them's a machine. And his wife is like, it's happening again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's actually quite interesting, but like he, he basically, before he even knew what the game was, he was like, I have this vision. I have a picture in my mind of this one, like biological and one mechanical Titan that are the world fighting each other. And he got his team together. And he, uh, you know, started taking uh, drawings around, showing the other staff, and everybody was like, "Yeah, this is a, this, give me these guys." And so um, they went out and they uh, <laughs> they bought lots of arts and crafts materials, and they started working, and they built this 3D model we talked about, uh, which they would use for their pitch with Nintendo. Um, so he, they actually like really, uh, they actually used the model, by the way, that they built during development as well to keep track of like. Uh, where things were keep the uh, keep the scope of the world in mind because uh, like the thing is like when you're playing this game it doesn't like normally look like you're on the back of a titan because it is so big it's like you know you can't see the edges of the earth right it's it's like so monumentally massive that like it's just a big field and there's like you know dinosaurs and then there's a big gorilla that is gonna kill you because it's 80 levels higher than you and shouldn't be in the starting area nope um but that's but, where the peninsula of power is. So you, that's you know, where it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I was actually kind of interested. They, they like talked about which parts of these bodies could be used as habitable and navigable environments. And Takashi later said that one of the main reasons for developing the game was to just like make everyone happy again. Like, don't be so down, guys. We got these two big guys we can live on. <laughs> By the way, you, you bringing up the level eighty gorilla reminds me. There's a speed speed running trick where you gain. Like I think seventy levels by tricking the game into thinking that you're at an in-game or a post-game dungeon area, um, like right at the beginning, around where that guy is, and you get enough XP just for finding it that you can shoot up to like level seventy. Wow, that is um, hmm, hmm, that's actually kind of fun. Is that only on the Wii version? No, I think it's actually at least in the DS version still. I don't know if it's in the... I think they found a different way to do it. Yeah, they patched the original way, but they they discovered (laughs) a new way. They will find a way. I think it's actually more reliable. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as we said, like, so Monolith Soft would go on to, in, while developing Xenoblade Chronicles, um, be acquired by Nintendo and become a, uh, like a first party owned studio. Um, Monolith Soft was in pretty dire financial straits by now. Uh, like I said, their games were never great sellers and even the ones that sold well were basically just enough to fund the next one. And so, um, they had finally hit a point where, they really couldn't continue doing what they were doing without an outside cash flow. And uh, Nintendo, you know, saw saw an opportunity there. And I think it's, you know, 
it's pretty easy to say it's paid off. I mean, good investment of a studio. Yeah, I think um, both parties have benefited. Yeah, they both really have. Um, and I mean, that's that's the kind of acquisitions that like I would rather see is like you have a talented studio that just like cut financially can't hack it, but is putting out good stuff. And one of the big guys coming in and being like, just keep doing what you're doing. We got the money. Um, so yeah, we will have but, the money for the next foreseeable forever. Yeah, exactly. Nintendo didn't just provide financial support though; they also helped. Um, bring their process um yeah prove that's it. true uh, and, they uh, suggested that they get a vertical slice of one area in like releasable form to tell how like so everybody would have experience with how much they work would need to be done to get the rest of the game up to that same level oh nice and to get the systems worked out ahead of time early in the process um there was a guy uh there's a nintendo executive hanato i can't remember his first name but he was pretty instrumental in the creation of this game because when um when nintendo brought them on you know and was like this is going to be like a first party nintendo title like this has got to um you know it's got to get the nintendo seal of polish or what did they call it um, the seal of approval the seal of approval like the which Mario i don't think up. was still actually being used at that point but... i don't think it was anymore yeah. i was just making a joke but like um i, th- I think yeah. they phased it out shortly before the 64 and it had more to do with making sure you weren't getting a, uh, like a, a, a defective cheapo cart. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like this guy, Hanato did actually roughly what Miyamoto does now, which is just like the quality assurance guy for the, qu- the quality of the content rather than just the, um, our products work. It's like there, there is a brand manager who is like looking over everything and being like, does this meet our content quality? Like, uh, you know, bar and, I um, the, the the title was formerly known as Satoru Iwata. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Hanato was one of these guys who do, who did this, uh, who did such a thing, and he had previously done this for the last few Pokemon games and Fire Emblem games. So he was like Nintendo's RPG guy, which is why they sent him to you know be the the liaison for this game. Um, and considering yeah. that that was a, a major peak in quality for both of those series right around that time. Yeah, yeah, like Nintendo, like that was Pokemon Gen Three had just come out. They were like riding high on that, and was Fire Emblem was on the it was was in the the Game Boy Advance, right? No, we were actually post the Game Boy Advance at this point. We were into the Radiance. Oh, okay. So DS came out, and was that two thousand four? Is that right? Yes. Okay, that makes sense then. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, these the series were were doing uh, well. I mean, critically at least, Fire Emblem had not obviously been a big money maker but um, i mean it wasn't doing as bad as it would would, in, would later uh, yeah, yeah that's true when the new mystery remake hit and they didn't even bother to bring it over they still it was, localized it without they did they just were like no it is selling terribly in japan we're not even going to finish you know bother finishing it and putting it on like everybody thinks that it was shadow dragon that nearly killed it no it was new mystery or the new mystery remake because mystery new mystery anyways so takahashi was very um very involved with every portion of the development of this game um he did give a more hands-off approach uh because he basically what he did was like he found people that he could trust to lead development in their own specific fields and so he could keep an eye on basically everything at the same time uh from a supervisory standpoint and 
I mean, like, I'm not, I didn't, I didn't work for him, but I, I mean, I think he did a great job as just general as a director. You know what I mean? Like, that's what a director needs to do. Um, but yeah, so the one of the main things was that they, uh, like we said, I think we hinted at this earlier, but um, Xenoblade Chronicles, when they were in the design process, uh, Takahashi was like, I want this game to be designed like it's an MMO, but it's going to be a single player game. And then I want to fill the world out. And so I think you can definitely see that. And not I, I would say even more so in... I, I think Xenoblade Chronicles X feels even more like that. Like, that game feels like an MMO that you just can't log in for some reason. <laughs> well, because they took me to first down. Yeah, I mean... They have even online the, features. And yeah, could... I mean, even the Miiverse stuff was like... It was like tertiary online features. It's Definitely. like, oh... You know, uh, it's like kind of what was it like your your rank or your your what is the I don't know I don't remember what word it was. It was like oh all the biologists or whatever are did these missions this week or whatever, um, which was cool and it was a cool idea. I I am still suspicious about Xenoblade Chronicles X. I am suspicious that it was supposed to be an online game and then the Wii U just couldn't hack it. <laughs> that's my that's my that's my theory, but we'll which see. is weird because you know weaker hardware and far worse internet connections gave us fantasy star online it's not about the weakness of the hardware but the probably just i was i'm, I'm thinking the like the, the the net code and the inability of developers to work with it because at, at that time the wii u was still using a uh, proprietary uh, graphic system and everything too and i can imagine that was not everyone's favorite um because I think the Switch, yeah, the Switch was their first system, Nintendo's first system ever to have like a, a third-party graphics card in it. Um, but anyway, we're getting away from it. So well, I, I think it, it had a Radeon in it. The Wii did. Are you sure? Yeah. I, I might. The be Wii wrong. U did too. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um. Anyways, it, it, so... it might have been a weird, like, um, particular skew of it mm-hmm. that they had, but it was definitely made by Radeon. I think okay. I think Monolith Soft just really wanted to let people play Xenoblade single player. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's totally fair. I I still think that and it, of... it wouldn't be the first time somebody made a single player MMO game. Sure. Dot hack. Of of Nintendo's existing franchises, I think Xenoblade is the most ready to be their MMO if they want to have one though. Yep, which is why it's going to be Star Fox when they finally do. <laughs> I'd argue that they already have one, and that's Pokemon. I mean, I wouldn't. It's not yeah, an MMO. You can just massively. take it offline. But they already had people running around in the same. Instance. It's like it's like you could oh. pretend you were in an MMO for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, I mean, the new one looks uh, like with the four-person co-op is better than yeah. just like a bunch of shadows of people running around, and then you talk to one like. I love sausage. I'm from France. And then they just like hand you a packet of sausage and disappear. Um, that, anyway. What are you talking about? That is a perfect <laughs> recreation of what happens when you go to France. That's probably true. That's what happens when you meet a German person. They just hand yeah. you sausages and disappear. Exactly. Um, so yeah, the, the Xeno designation here wasn't as much meant to be like a tie to the rest of the games that they had worked on as much as like, just like, let's remember where we came from. Um, we worked so hard on all these different games, and although it's not technically part of the same series, like, um, they also wanted to, like, you know, uh, stress that, like, this is, like, a foreign, faraway place. Um, it's a, it's a place that is alien to us, and I, I think that comes through even more in the later games, like, with, um, cause, like, in, uh, let me see, 
I mean, certainly in X, like you're like from Earth and you crash land into an alien planet, which is a very different situation. Um, but yeah, so the Xeno part came from that, and then the blade was, you know, of course tied to the narrative, the uh, the the main weapon, the Monado, which is um, also the yeah, I like this that the the beginning, the early title of this game was Monado: colon, the beginning of the world. Um, I think the beginning of the world as a standalone might have been a good name. Um, kind of has like a world ends with you vibe. Um, I don't know if the beginning of the world as its own title, but like the world beginning, maybe the world begins with you. Yes. There it is. Um, it's just the prequel to the world ends with you. I was actually thinking of that the other day. I was like, how sick would that have been if, if the, they, they had made a prequel instead and called it The World Starts With You or something? That would have been cool. Um, although it probably would have still sold eight copies um, because Square Enix forgot they made it. Um, Square Enix forgets a lot of things. Yeah, I think they also did forget they made Sleeping Dogs, so that's fair. They seem to forget a lot of the games they make. Um, the Vagrant Story? Because Square Enix sure doesn't. Mm-hmm. when really they should be out there pouring millions of dollars into promoting the quiet man <laughs> um, what they need to do is try and figure out a vehicle for Ayabrea to return in that isn't the third birthday uh, okay so let's we, we mentioned the last story a little bit uh, a, a fellow JRPG headed to the Wii waggle control exclusive um, do you know anything about the last story uh do you want Final Fantasy from the original creator of Final Fantasy, but can't call it Final Fantasy? Uh, didn't they make that for the Apple Arcade? <laughs> Probably also. Yeah, no, that's the last story is <laughs> Final Fantasy. Oh my god, not. they just na- they did the same name. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't exactly. <laughs> that's sick. I love it. Um, so anyway, like I said, Hot No came on. Um, I was looking in here because I know we've talked every time we talk about a Nintendo game's development on here. There's always a section where Miyamoto shows up and everybody just shits their pants in the studio. <laughs> um, I was I, I was not able to find when that happened here, but I am 100 percent certain it did at some point. But early in development in every Nintendo game, uh, Miyamoto shows up and he he walks in and he says. He, lo- he spends like five minutes in there. He's like, your game's going to be good or your game's going to be bad. And he knows. Um, and all he did was walk in, see Riki the Hero Pawn, and said, I'm done. You're good. It's good. I don't need to see anything else. Yeah. I heard I heard when he was working on Breath... When he tried first tried Breath of the Wild, another model of soft game, that he spent an hour just climbing the trees, look, <laughs> seeing what secrets they hid up there. And they were like so scared, but he loved it. He just yeah. spent the time climbing the that's trees. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, one of the one of his notable contributions was like when uh, in, in for actually for Splatoon because he walked in there early on and um, the the early models of this uh, game actually they were testing out uh, Mario characters to be like the the characters in the game and he was like, come on. Guys. <laughs> This isn't a Mario thing. <laughs> try, try again. Uh, what actually, if bloopers. Yeah, what if bloopers? You can actually listen to our Splatoon episode, but it is it is fascinating to me that the Squid Kid thing came at like the end of development. They did not even think of squids for most of that game, <laughs> um, which is so but, weird considering so it was weird. <laughs> the ink and paint 
Yeah. And then uh, once they did, it just all fell together. It just all came together. Yeah, it was perfect. Um, but anyway, so yeah, like, uh, like I said, Nintendo definitely cooperated, um, and, and had some hand in this game. And, um, let's see here. So, uh, the story was done by uh, Takahashi as a supervisory role, but primarily written by Yuichiro Takeda, who was, uh, a, uh, pretty well-known anime writer at that time um he had worked uh as a consultant uh freelance for them on some of the earlier games they had done but this was his first time as kind of a lead writer and takahashi selected him specifically because he was not a games writer he was like i want this to have the scale of an epic anime like a long running series you know um i looked at some of the ones that he did and i can't remember what they are now i might have to pull them up again unless somebody knows off the top of their head but um the uh but yeah takeda was uh, well well known in that field and he was excited to kind of take on a a challenge full-time on this kind of a thing so takashi didn't actually give like precise story beats to to takeda he was like there's two big giants i keep seeing them every time i close my eyes <laughs> I'm, I, sometimes I wake up in a cold sweat and I'm, I'm clutching the model of the, the Makanas, uh, screaming. But um, he was like, yeah, like all I all I know is that this is the setup for the world. I want you to do the rest of this. Uh, so among other things, he was the writer for Xenosaga the Animation. Oh, okay, yeah. And Better Man, which is interesting because that's another uh, series which is canonically related to a series you would not expect it to be related to at all, in that it is uh, in the same universe as uh, Galgaigar, oh. the ultra-toyetic. And so he wrote eight episodes of the the dark and gritty spinoff of the toyetic, uh, you know, children's mecha show to end all toyetic yeah. medic- children's mecha shows. Wow, that's, uh, huh. I, I guess there was, like... It's always weird when people, you're like, that guy, huh, where'd they find him? Um, but, um, yeah, like I said, uh, Takeda, like, was really, like, uh, in charge of this, this script here, and, um, he, they, they actually wrote, like, way too much dialogue, is what happened. Um, and it actually became a problem in the, one, in the implementation of actually recording that much voice, uh, that much audio, and, uh, voice acting, and then secondly... Um, they they ended up having to cut a lot because the testers were not happy with how much the characters were talking. Um, so, you know, I, I think that was interesting, and I'm, I'm glad it's a note they took because um, I definitely don't... I, I definitely feel like they talk the right amount in this game to each other. You know what I mean? Especially outside of battle and stuff, too. Um, and that was one thing also that Takahashi was really concerned about was that they don't have too many cutscenes. He was actually, he cited Final Fantasy as a, a reason for that. He said that the recent Final Fantasy games were too heavy on cutscenes and weren't blending the story with the action of the game enough. And that was something he wanted to, you know, address in his game. So, so that would know, be, what, yeah, 10 and 10 too. Yeah, which, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, probably. I think that the Xenoblade games do a pretty good job of blending combat and story. Like in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. Uh, they have the Monado and the Future Vision, and that is a big plot device, and it's also a big gameplay mechanic. Yeah, it it is, and it's a it's a really cool one actually. I think like there's the the so the Monado, uh, by the way, like every so often during battle, 
uh, Shulk will have a vision of an incoming attack that's going to do like serious damage or knock out a party member, and you have an opportunity to uh, block it or like you know topple that character, the the attacker, cancel it in some way, which is cool. But I think the more interesting function of the Monado is when you find a collectible, and I think this is so fascinating and such a great idea. But you know, in JRPGs, you're like constantly picking up crap, and there's just like, is any of this useful? Do I need this? I don't know, but in this game, when you pick it up, when you pick up an item that is going to be useful later in the game that you're collecting that you may need for a quest later, the Monado will just be like, grant you a vision of you like handing the stuff to the person who needs it, even though if you're not going to meet them for another 30 hours. And it's like, oh, okay, so that that is important. I won't sell those. Um, I don't know. I think it's a very elegant way to do that, is all. But, um, yeah, so... Um, one of the main things that they had a lot of trouble with was making Shulk uh, character, like, you know, is his character. Um, Takahashi had noticed that, like, in the majority of these JRPGs, the protagonist was often the least liked person in the game, almost exclusively. <laughs> um, which I think is maybe true now that I'm thinking about it. But um, I'm trying to think if there's, like... I mean, I, I think Cloud is really popular, but that's probably the exception. Paper um, Mario. Rather than the rule. Um, Paper Mario, I guess, yeah, people, uh... Lineth from Valkyrie Profile. Though, I don't think, she's not the most favorite, but, uh, cause mostly her sidekick, the, the totally not Guts character, mm -hmm. uh, was the favorite, but she was fairly popular. Um, trying to think. The part of the problem is a lot of them are basically expected to be sort of viewpoint and audience surrogate characters. Mm -hmm. And so they get, you know overall like less interesting and development than the weird cast of characters right um so this was this well, was actually no I, I, xeno gears is actually a very good example where the least liked character was the mascot character oh and part of that was because she tries she she very quickly tries to seduce uh the main character huh and she is a pink puffball okay was it successful no, she was not no. successful okay. in trying to seduce him. Sad. Um, yeah, so interestingly, Takahashi uh, w wanted Shulk to be a silent protagonist because he was like, uh, you know, that's all you know. That's all I know. <laughs> that's all I know. Um, but uh, Takeda was pretty set on uh, making Shulk a voiced character and developing him out to be just as much of a character as any of the companions. Um, which is, you know, we, we've seen definitely less of those over time. Um, there's, or rather, less of the silent protagonist. Like, it, it is a thing that's sort of fading away slowly. Um, I'm, even in stuff like Persona, it's fading away. I was about away. to say, yeah, like, even Persona is, like, much less of a, like, blank slate than it used to be. But it's weird, because the first two, they were not blank slates at all, the, the heroes. And then uh, in 3, 4, and 5, you had completely blank... Mm -hmm. the redo of three where she was much less blank as yeah. we all know she's the only canon uh main character that's correct um and then uh you was considerably less of blank and you know joker despite being silent has much more of a personality yeah i i would say so um but yeah, anyway, it's like I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of tired of this. The it's not that it's not the silent thing that gets me. It's just like the blank slate. Like I have no character. I want I want the audience to project themselves onto this character. Like I don't man, just make a character. Yeah. Um, 
but anyway, this was uh, something that they, you know, had to had to figure out uh, how these characters were going to interact with each other. Um, and uh, for instance, they uh, they were worried about Ricky, uh, and they should have, and rightfully so. Um, <laughs> but uh, Ricky is a, a no pawn, which is like a little furry, a uh, little furry guy, a little round guy. Um, they are an a alien weird, species. Like child's drawing of a rabbit come to life yeah a little rabbit like for sure um they are uh kind of bouncy and weird and i guess they like being merchants or maybe there's just a bunch of merchants there um but um they they are um i would say that they, they kind of get annoying uh sometimes <laughs> um but yeah ricky was a ricky was a character that was uh worked on a lot to try to make him likable to the um to the audience and i uh i would definitely say riki is my least favorite companion in this game um mostly because it's one of those things where it's like um you know he's like being a shithead or whatever and then everybody in the party's like oh you and i'm like no somebody be mean to him i can't do it they won't let me um but uh he's he's so pathetic that there's no point that that's but, true and it's like it's like oh he's the hero pawn and everything and it's like he he like genuinely thinks he's a hero and i was like this sucks i want to i want to break him i want to break him uh they fixed that they listened to your complaints in xenoblade x and half of the jokes in that game are just about cooking uh that's true Tora, the no pawn or tatsu or, no, yeah what's his name in that one tatsu tatsu i remember the him. potato like, no pawn yeah um so uh Takahashi actually said that during the course of development, the story changed so much he forgot what his original idea was. Um, the only thing he remembered that they retained the entire time was the the Titans, basically. Um, so the original score for Xenoblade Chronicles was composed by uh, Manami Kyoto Ace Plus, which was a mu- musical group consisting of Tomori Kudo, Hiroyo Chiko <laughs> Yamanaka, and Kenji Hiramatsu. And, of course, Yoko Shimomura, also the GOAT. I've made a note there. Um, so, at Takahashi's request, Nobuo Uemetsu's record label, Dog Ear Records, assisted Uematsu. with production. Sorry? You said Uemetsu. Uematsu. Oh, Uematsu. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they assisted with production, which is cool. Um, and uh, the music team was led by Shimomura, but um, there were essentially six composers working on this project together. And uh, that was unusual for the time. Uh, generally, for these JRPG projects, you would have one uh, composer put everything together, and then have sometimes you know, two. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your sound engineers and everything would work on it based on that. But this was a very collaborative process. Um, and uh, they actually were, you know, they they credit the the incredible soundtrack. Which, by the way, they made an incredible soundtrack. It's very very good. Um, with uh, you know the the diversity of ideas that came out and, and their ability to, to work together and like bounce tracks off of each other and ideas and and you know not just like bend to to one person's ideas basically um, and there's a good, really good variety Xenoblade has always had a weird range of of music styles which has been good but like there there are some that like get all the way towards like heavy metal and then there's like you know slow violin music playing a lot of the time too um, and everything in between. Yeah, I mean, they're really good. Tracks. That's that's kind of how all of the the monolith and monolith adjacent games have been. They're really good at uh, using different motifs. So, like the heavy guitar are for the robots, and the light yeah. and airy music yeah. is for the night themes and such. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they they don't let a single. They they've got leap motifs, but they don't have a single one dominate the game. Um. Yeah. That's that's true. Um. I also like that Shimamura said she was very excited because this was the first time she got to use guitars, in a in a composition. I thought that was neat. Um. And I, I think that probably maybe wasn't as standard um, back then. Um, I feel like I'm trying to think now about like um, what are so what, I'm trying to think about like more recent JRPGs. Um, but like I, I think the the um, you know guitar stuff has become a little more commonplace. Um, so Xenoblade Chronicles was announced formally during E3 2009. Um, but its title and release window were not all announced till 2010, and uh, that was alongside the announcement of the last story. So um, Xenoblade Chronicles released in Japan on June 10th in 2010, and uh, let's see, uh, I'm sure it's going to be right over to North America any second now. <laughs> oh no, huh, okay. So one year <laughs> after its Japanese release, after fucking radio silence from nintendo for a year um it was confirmed for release in europe uh, but not north america uh but this did at least mean that there was going to be an english version of the game so uh the uh the name was of course like we said changed to xenoblade chronicles uh just from xenoblade and this version included both the english and japanese voice tracks which is cool always nice because that wasn't always it, it's such a thing we take for granted now but like having like, all these different languages available but like Back in the day, especially during like the Wii 360 PS3 era, they would record a lot of these games in multiple languages. But like, if you got the English one, there was no way to access the Japanese audio. You know what I mean? Like the, the North America one was when they would release them in Europe and release them with multiple translated tracks, but not the Japanese track. <laughs> Fun. Um... <laughs> I mean, and okay, I part a period of, of like five years where that 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 happened. Yeah, that was about to say. Yeah, it was, I think it was during that that specific era. But I I also think that part of that may have had to do with like storage space for it was it was very much files. a storage space thing. Yeah, like, look, we're pushing it by giving you these multiple things, and we're really we don't do this much because of this requirement. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and I mean, for the long though. For the longest time, there were a lot of games that did not see a, a European release specifically because of that. Though hilariously, there was one game that only had an English translation that only saw a European release in the PSP era that had only seen a North American release, well, Japanese and North American release in the okay. PS1 era. Huh. So it never makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I know the audio uh, audio compression and quality and stuff is not the same anymore but like something that i noticed recently was when i was just trying to download as dusk falls and the if you download just the version from the game pass it, it just downloads the english um but it will if you download the rest you can download all the rest of the audio um they recorded it in 14 languages which is crazy um but it is microsoft i guess they have money so um, but that that changes the file size from 22 gigs to 60 gigs to download all the different voice tracks. So yeah, it is a it is a substantial a space. Yeah, it's a Releasing substantial. Releasing it in Cockney rhyming slang and Mongolian throat singing was probably not required, but they yeah. wanted to go. It's authentic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, Shulk's English voice actor um, Adam Howden 
so that he was not given really any information prior to his audition about what was happening and also never received a full script. Um, In fact, he's never given a script. He still doesn't know what the game is. Please let him out of this cage. Let him out. Um, So yeah, like uh, Xenoblade is pretty well known for being very British. Um, It's, uh, I think it's, it's, On one hand, like, I think it's really cool that that, it has that kind of, like, uniqueness to it, because uh, generally when things are dubbed for the entire West, um, it's American English, like, and and American actors. But, yeah, like... Even um, if they're British characters. Right. So, Nintendo's localization team was actually too busy to take on Xenoblade Chronicles when they finally started to prepare it for a Western release. And so that's why they had to export it over to their European localization branch. And said, "Well, find some, find, gather up some people and make them talk." You know, um, so the uh, the translated script needed to be altered. Some lines came out longer or shorter than the Japanese originals, but they said that content-wise, they were able to keep everything pretty much the same, um, which is great. But um, there were some bug fixes and some minor adjustments to gameplay balance made for the European release, and uh, none of it led to anything significantly different. But the European version was released in uh, um, 2011, and then, uh, or sorry, September 2011. Um, still at this point, did not have any news for a North American release. Um, I will also say that this was something that not a ton of people in North America were following or Europe. Uh, this was a very small game at the time, and like, if you're into video games now, like you've heard the name Xenoblade Chronicles floated around, like definitely was not like that before. <laughs> um, so uh, the translated script uh, eventually made it over, uh, or sorry, the, the translation finally made it over to North America in uh, finally years later. So it was over two years later after it came out in Japan that the game finally released in North America. Um, this was very fun. I like that Reggie made it into this one. Um, <laughs> where is he in here? This, this one's too long. Um Okay, here he is. You're right. So, um, yeah, in, in a 2013 interview, uh, Reggie Fisame revealed that Nintendo were considering an American release for Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, right, because of this Operation Rainfall thing. So, do, I don't know. Did anyone know about this earlier, the Operation Rainfall thing? Anything about it? I... It's basically just kind of a standard internet campaign from what I can see. Like, release the game in North America. Yeah, I heard uh... about it while I was going on, but I wasn't really a part oh, of really? it. It was like, oh, these three niche jrpgs i'm never gonna play any of them and how wrong was i um so yeah basically it was uh for xenoblade chronicles the last story and pandora's tower uh there was a campaign for these three jrpgs to get north american releases and um people just kind of were you know did their thing around the internet um i have been part of one such campaign um for operation bluebird to get zero time dilemma made um the point is to kind of just be as annoying as you can and just bring it up every time it's possible. Um, was my, my sort of understanding of it. But, yeah, I, I uh, was interested, like, so the the funny thing was that, like, Reggie was like, no, okay, look, we are going to bring it to North America, but it's not because you told me to. <laughs> so he's like, well, you know, we didn't factor that in, but we did factor in that you guys are just very annoying. Um <laughs> So, yeah, there's, uh, I don't know, I I think it was really interesting that, like, they decided this was um, something that was going to, I guess, sell better in Europe than in North America. Do you have any idea why that might have been? I don't know. 
Maybe they just wanted wanted it more. I don't know. Maybe British people don't sell in America. It might have been uh, a cost of distribution versus expected uh, pickup rate because mm-hmm. it costs a lot more to ship all across the U.S. and and make uh, copies enough for the U.S. Yeah. It so could... it was a bigger initial risk that they weren't sure would get a return on investment. Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that makes sense. It could also be like a distribution-ish uh, thing. Like there was more of a market because of the um, history with like computer gaming that was different than in America. Yeah, that's that's probably true also. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, Operation Rainfall was, I guess, a success. They did manage to become the most... Uh, the, the placeholder on Amazon, Minato, Beginning of the World, uh, managed to become the most pre-ordered game. <laughs> so good work, everybody. Yeah, uh, I, I do think that it helped. Um, I'm really I glad it so. did because uh, throughout the history of Nintendo, you see these instances where this niche JR- Japanese game releases at the end of the console's life and then it's never translated or it takes years to come over, like, Mother Three is the obvious one with the Game yeah, Boy that's Advance. true. Which is but there's just also like, yeah, there's also Marvelous and Sin and Punishment was a similar case, but it's like finally they saw because of this Operation Rainfall and the shifting landscape because of the internet that these were actually viable to make and release over here. If Reggie showed up tomorrow and he said Mother Three is out now, go check the eShop. I would say no. I've I've fallen into an alternate universe. I've fallen into a wormhole. Um, what? I mean, for one, Reggie Fizeme would be still be making announcements for Nintendo. So I like yeah. that. Well, yeah, actually, take me back to that world. Um, <laughs> I, I think they're gonna release Earthbound two, and then everybody's gonna be like, "But where's Mother 3? That would be funny. Um, it's yeah, obviously, an original game. Earthbound that, 2, not related, not, you know. Well, because they released Mother 1 as Earthbound Yeah, Mother Beginnings. 1 was Earthbound, yeah. yeah. So, so, I'm wondering if they ever do release Mother 3, are they going to call it Mother 3 to lean into the no, brand they, awareness? No, I don't think, I think they yeah. would call it, I think they would call it Earthbound colon something, not Earthbound 2. Third um, Mother? Earthbun, Earth, Earth, Earth Mom. Um. Well, because the, the thing is, It'd be the third game, Mother 3, Earth is the third planet from the sun, it is our mother. They could actually tie it all together. They could do that. And they could Resident Evil Biohazard that. Yeah, just like, we planned planned this the whole time. We planned this the last 20 years. Um, So Xenoblade uh, managed to gather massive critical acclaim, got a 92 for Metacritic, and a majority of these scores were perfect 10 out of 10s. It was considered a triumphant comeback for JRPGs and a guide to the the new modern age of the genre. So Xenoblade Chronicles, the 3DS port, and the Switch remaster all sold better in the West than in Japan, which I found very cool. Um, I'm not sure why uh, that is, um, and I know it's a very obviously Japan's like a tiny market, but like when you're looking at JRPGs, like they usually do sell better in Japan than they do in the West. Um, but this just happened to be one of the ones that, that hit it out of the park over here. Um, reminds, uh, similar to, we've talked about this on the show a lot, Zelda. Um, Zelda sells monumentally better in the West than it does in Japan. Um, I think uh, part of that is because of the pickup and play nature of the co- the combat and the exploration. Mm-hmm. They just appeal 
very strongly to the Western market, sort of like how Metroid. Yeah, Metroid's another one. Yeah. It's done so much better in the West, and to the point where I honestly think Other M was partially created and, and just destroyed by Sakamoto's own jealousy over Prime doing so well. <laughs> well, like with with Retro being um, over in uh, in Texas and everything, like I feel like in my mind, like I think of metroid as a like a american franchise at this point almost like i mean you can see i mean the part of the fact that the main character is a tall blonde you know yeah lady and i mean the last one was even like i guess a western franchise rather because like even the last game was made by a spanish studio yeah um but yeah anyway official metroidvania studio thank you very much yeah that's true only studio to have both worked on a castlevania and a metroid game they are making their own original IP Metroidvania now. I um, look forward to it. I, I've been, I, I, I like their 3D uh, Castlevania games. Yeah, I like their 2D Castlevania. Did they do? Games, they did the Lords like the of Metroid Shadow games, games right? Did yeah. Them? Okay. There, there, there was a lot to not be good at, to, to to. Yeah, I, I was about to say. I feel like I feel like fans were not very happy good. with that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The the plot got away from them. Sure. And I don't blame them for that because I think that was from Konami. So um, each of these uh, versions of the game, the uh, with the Wii version, the 3DS uh, port, and the Switch remaster broke 1 million copies, so very well for considering what they were doing before. And uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition for the Switch hit 1.5 million copies, so did really well. Um, just for reference, like based the, the last game, the Xenosaga 3 game, sold around 50,000 copies total. Like, that's what they came up from, to break a, a million for the next one. Um, yeah, so... Um, I, I, did anyone... Okay, so this is, this is a good question. Where did you guys play this game first? Because, like, I... Uh, did you play it on the Wii? Me first? Okay, I, yeah, I yeah, played it on the Wii. Okay. So, have you played any of the other versions? The Switch or the 3DS one? I have the Switch version... Uh, Kate and I still need to sit down and, and play it. It's it's in our backlog. Okay. Uh, how about you, Patrick? Yeah, I did not play Xenoblade Chronicles 1 until the Switch version. Yeah, that's totally understandable because yeah, you don't I, live in Japan. I started, with, I started with Xenoblade X. I, I had known about Xenoblade Chronicles 1 on the yeah, Wii. No, for, and, it, it can be said that from a number of diehard fans, the series started with X. Because no, like despite its popularity, relatively to its current popularity, nobody knew about Xenoblade Chronicles when it first came out. Yeah, and then when X hit, it just launched. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, X did very well, and uh, I, I that was the first one I played too. I mean, yeah, I, I think and, in 2012 <laughs> people were just done with their Wii's. And yeah, that's true. Not even a new now Wii HD would be able to save it. Would, it was just the Wii fad was over. Is it possible that and then they released the Wii U, so they actually did release the Wii HD. That's true. Um, is it possible that Xenoblade Chronicles X was so exciting because Nintendo like didn't make any other games for a year? I think that's part of it. Yeah. Um, well, we we did have Splatoon. So was that the same year? Was that 2014? Uh, 15, maybe. Splatoon, was uh, Splatoon might have been 15. Xenoblade yeah. X was 25. I, I want to say, uh, yeah. Um, I think Smash Bros. was 2014. Yeah, Xenoblade X came out. I like how you can identify the Splatoon. Wii U years by which one Nintendo game came out that year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
2013 was Mario 3D World. Um, mm-hmm. There we go. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I, I played this game. Uh, I actually had the 3DS version, which I got because I knew about it because of Smash Bros, obviously. <laughs> um, and I was like, that's that's the guy with the sword. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I got Xenoblade Chronicles X, and I played through a lot of that game. Um, I have never finished it, um, mostly because I just uh, got so tired. <laughs> And it's very big. It's a great game. Um, I think it's got a lot. It's got a lot of good stuff going for it. I think people are too harsh on it in general. Um, I, I don't know why. Like it, it seems like a lot of fans are just like, oh yeah, this is like their shit one. I was like, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, it does some really interesting things. Yeah, I beat I, it, but it took me like a year from yeah, start to I believe finish. you. Not um, that I was playing it all the time, but yeah. Um, I really liked, I, I, I don't know, I, I liked a lot of it, but again, like, it, a lot of it does feel like it should have, there should have been a bunch of people running around with you. Um, but, um, uh, and also, of course, features probably the best, uh, song in, in video game history, the, um, Black Tar Battlefield. <laughs> you know, the, you know what I'm talking amazing. about? Yeah. yeah. In a sea of dark matter, every minute matters, <laughs> with my other black shadow. That's so Black good. Tar is great. Uncontrollable is great. Primordial. I want everyone listening to this. Noctilum theme is no, great. No, you know, fuck it. I'm going to play it. Instead of our outro, I'm going to play this song. <laughs> and I want everyone to listen to it. And I want you to understand that that song plays in its entirety every time you get into any encounter for this entire game. <laughs> and just understand, like, you get Stockholm syndromed into it. You're like, this is the best song I've ever heard. Um,. But uh, yeah, so then uh, of course I am famously not a not a big fan of Xenoblade Chronicles two. Um, it definitely got poor, I wouldn't say it got poor reception. It definitely got less good reception than the first game. Um, uh, had... Most of that I think is due to the the non even though it's not uh, like exploitative the gotcha mechanics. Yeah, the gotcha mechanics actually were. Just, it's it's weird because it's like not money based, but it still feels like they're just like making you gamble. <laughs> it's yeah. like I'm gambling for women. I'm trying to pull women out of these boxes, and like they're. Yeah, it feels some... good when I was doing it in Vegas. Exactly. There's some yeah. big flaws with Xenoblade too, but yeah. the environments and music. If you just sh- turn your yeah. way and configure your party so you don't have to... If you ignore to... just, like, most of the story and <laughs> some of the characters the, entirely. The last half or third of the story is amazing, but it's yeah. just it takes way too long to get to that point and puts its yeah. worst foot forward. Um, and, like, yeah, even for, for me, like, the environment... Like, not really, really not liking this game. Like, I think the environments are great, the monsters are great, um, and, like, the music is great... Um, I think there's just like, I don't know. I, I think that they got some, I, I will also say, I think Xenoblade has some of just as a series, some of like the coolest monsters I've ever seen in video games. Um, they pretty consistently make really wondrous things, especially in honestly for me, especially in X, like a lot of those creatures that you would see on these weird islands and stuff were like, you would like stop and just like look at them for a few seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it, been true even before the, the, the blade part. Like the the creature yeah. design in Gears and Saga was also pretty amazing. So whoever they've got on Monolith House who's been doing that, just keep them on as long as you can. Yeah, whoever's your who's your monster creator person, just keep them on. 
I think the Monsters and Xenoblade, the 3D ones, they kind of remind me of those drawings that like people draw of like Pokemon in real life. Like, what if this? <laughs> yeah, no, that's not a bad example. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, right. a lot of them are like kind of combinations between two species. Like Brog is a bunny frog. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Xenoblade Chronicles three, of course, came out like three weeks ago, something two weeks ago, um, about and uh, massive success critically at least. I'm I'm sure it's selling fairly well. Um, just I mean, if nothing else, the Switch install base is so fucking huge. Like they're probably gonna sell five million of these. I'm guessing. Yeah, but it, it I think it's the best Xeno game out of all that I've played. Okay, I haven't played nice. any Saga games, but I've played all the other ones. And I would recommend it. They are they can be a slog, but I I enjoyed it. The characters More like are... Xeno Slaga, right? <laughs> Look, if the post game in two is longer than I want to say the main plot. It's fun, but it takes forever. Gotcha. And that is sort of a traditional... And when uh, I say the main plot, I mean of all three games. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing I, uh, I will say about these games also, which I think is pretty well known too, is that like you're like eight hours into the game and it's like tutorial complete and you're like, oh my god. Final Fantasy thirteen. What? Yeah. Um, now they, they they just all have like notoriously long tutorials, but um, I I also think that like these games have so many overlapping systems that like if they actually fed it to you in a shorter amount of time, there was no way you would comprehend it. Like there was even when I was playing Xenoblade Chronicles X, I remember I had to actually go to to Reddit and I found a great guide somebody had written up, which was like four pages long about like understanding combat. Um, and I was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I, I, I really, really did not enjoy the direction they took for the, the combat in the, in the second game. But I, I like, I like the, I mean, I think in the first game it's, it's good. Like, you know, you basically have the, what is it like stagger, topple, whatever the other ones are thing. Yeah. Break, um, topple, and then days is in the first game. Okay. Days. Um, and then the second game has break, topple, launch, and smash. And okay. in the third game, they brought both of them back and added a fourth one to the Xenoblade 1 burst. So now each path has four. So yeah, um, at this point, they, they've 100% o- uh, eclipsed Xenosaga 2 because those are all the states... Uh, that you can throw somebody into into including launch and and uh, and and uh, toppled, which were up and down. And wow. yeah, a, a large portion of that game's uh, mechanics were keeping your enemies in these various zones for you know exploiting them. Well, that is a good time. I I don't know. I think these. Okay, I would say probably more. One of my issues that with all the the games in the series I've, I've tried, and I haven't tried three yet, but I'm, I'm planning to try it out later this year um, when it goes on one of those famous Nintendo sales. Um, but um, the the HUD has fucking annoyed me forever. Like, there's so fucking much going on on the screen during combat. It is nearly impossible to, to comprehend all of these lights at the same time. Um, yeah, I, I think they've done a the, good job of improving is... at it. They don't mean anything. Just like Shulk says, you gotta feel it. Yeah. I'm really feeling it. 
Um, wow, I didn't know Shulk was a guest on this podcast. Yeah. Backslash! <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so, I don't know. Uh, I... Uh, I want to say like I like the I like the general idea of the combat. I like the 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 system of scrolling through arts, which is like a very MMO-ish. Um, yeah. But, um, I I like the combat, but it's my least favorite part of the games. So I like to play them on easy mode, just to get nice. through the combat I, to everything else. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I I do like the combat uh, definitely in the first game and. Um, yeah, I, I think it can get too complicated easily, though, when you have so many systems, like, stacking on top of each other, like, um, and remembering, like, the sequence of, like, elements and stuff, like, really fucked me up. I did not enjoy that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So, anyway, I, I'm trying to think about, like, who, what, who, how, who I recommend, uh, this game to. And, first of all, let me say, definitely get the definitive edition for the Switch, um, it has the uh, it has all the stuff, and it also has beautifully redesigned menus that are so much easier to navigate. Um, it has the is, casual I mean, mode, the easy mode, and mode, yeah. it has an expert mode. You can level yourself down so you're not over-leveled yeah. for quests. Uh, lots of really good stuff in that. And, uh, of course, it's remastered. It looks better. It's, it's not like the most beautiful game ever, but it looks a lot better than the original. And... The main thing that comes with it is that there is a brand new DLC story that they actually made and uh, they made for this re-release called Future Connected. And I think if you do everything in it, I've heard it's like 20 hours long. It's like pretty fucking like chunky. Um, and all of the voice actors actually came back to re-record for this too, including Jenna Coleman from Doctor Who, who is... Nice. Uh, yeah, I was I was worried because I remember uh, people being worried like that she was like too famous to do this game again now. But no, she was apparently one thing I've learned. It's that if once somebody is on Doctor Who, they're never too famous to do anything. They'll <laughs> do will, just we'll, about anything. <laughs> we will leave that up to interpretation. <laughs> I mean, um, have you seen the careers some of these people have gone to have? That's been in the weirdest shit. I still can't stop thinking about the fact that the main villain in Arrow was Jack Barrowman. Yeah. Jack Barrowman. Uh, Jack Harkness. Uh, and then like, how Rory did you was here? a major player in, um, uh, oh, what was the name of it? The, the, the time travel DC Arrowverse show. The Oh, uh, League Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was think... the doctor. Right. Uh, for DC. Matt Smith is a is a Game of Thrones now, yep. after doing like six bad movies in a row, um, and then Morbius after that. Yep. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, yeah, let's. And then Karen uh, Gillan went in to be in Jumanji. Oh yeah, and also fucking Guardians of the Galaxy and yeah. Marvel. Like that's huge. I keep forgetting that's her because she's blue. Um, yeah, and no, no, and I'm not saying like. I'm saying Jumanji because she did this, you know, the obvious prestige one, and then she did the wacky comedy, because why not? Yeah. Yeah. That movie was like, that movie shouldn't have been as good as it was, Jumanji. <laughs> Here I thought you were talking about Guardians. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, okay, so yeah, we'll, we'll start wrapping yeah. up. Does anyone you, else uh, any, any last You thoughts? asked uh, who we recommend Xenoblade Chronicles Yeah, I was going to say, like, yeah, because do, do I don't think this is one of those games that, like, everyone's going to jive with it, but, like, 
I think if you want like a, a sense of exploration, this is one of the better open worlds for that. Yeah, I um, think the uh, the environments in all the Xeno games, Monolith Soft is second to none when it comes to creating worlds that you just want to be in and live in, and that's why they got him to help with Breath of the Wild. Right. Yeah, and actually, I mean, like. I wouldn't even call Monolith support for that game, considering how much work they did on it. Like, that was pretty much jointly developed by Nintendo EPD and, and Monolith Soft. But like, if anyone's not aware, like, pretty much most of the map parts of Breath of the Wild, like the entire design of the map, was done by Monolith Soft, and they are currently working on Breath of the Wild 2 as well. Uh, they have about a hundred employees on it, so it's like a huge chunk of people, um, which is insane because I was. Because people keep saying, like, how do they keep making so much stuff? And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I, I could not tell you. Um, they just let one person have a go at, like, this, like, 20 by 20 section of map. Mm-hmm. And if they can fit it into the, the areas right around them, it gets to stay in. Yeah. And actually, people, I think, if I remember correctly, and maybe I'm wrong, but, like, I saw some investigation into that and people were like being like, no, like Monolith Soft is like one of the best studios in Japan to work with. Like they, they have like one of the best company cultures. Like they don't overwork people. It's like not really the standard Japanese thing, you know, it's like, how do they do this? And like, I guess they just found a lot of talented people. Um, yeah. But I think one of the ways, one of the things that really helps is that they've had these, these ideas for their games mm-hmm. so far in the future. Like they, had a concept for Xenoblade 2 and Xenoblade 3 while they were working on Xenoblade X. So they had it planned, and they just had to execute the plan. Um, One thing also, uh, Monolith Soft also did support work on Pokemon Legends Arceus, and uh, they worked on that map as well, uh, which is exciting. um, How do they they fit it all in? I don't know. (laughs) Um, they also work on the Splatoon series, so oh, I they? think they're working on Splatoon 3, and they work yeah. on Animal Crossing. Yeah, so basically, all of Nintendo's biggest they're, hits yeah, for the past years. Think, yeah, there's about 300 people working at Monolith Soft, but they are definitely a huge um, huge part of Nintendo, so like, uh, that, was a, that was a good acquisition. Um, yeah, but uh, does, uh, Tim, do you want to mention anything else? Like, what what are you th- what do you think are the things that will appeal to a newcomer about Xenoblade if they want to try to get into it? Into it? Um, well, obviously, Riki the Hero Pawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but no, yeah. the the big open worlds, um, the just sheer amount of stuff to explore, all the lore. Um, everyone's actually doing a very good job acting so yeah i was actually surprised uh considering like because i actually i played xenoblade uh two before i even tried one like on, on the switch like uh, i was very surprised at how good the voice acting was in, yeah. the, in the first one um but yeah, like i think in the third one it's just they do it even better and this time yeah, they've got lip syncing for the english Whoa. dialogue oh, yeah. as Ooh, well as the japanese nice. yeah. and it's the cutscenes are just the best one, in the series by far. One kind of personal thing, which is, I mean, was like, I know it's not, it doesn't mean anything to almost anybody else, but like, um, the, one of the characters in the um, in in Xenoblade Chronicles, the first one, Sharla, is uh, like, I mean, they're not from any nationality, but like, she's Indian, 
And I, I think that's really cool because I never ever get to see Indian people being like these these RPGs and stuff ever, um, which is really exciting. I mean, like just like you know, uh, features and, and facial structure wise and all that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the games do a good job of promoting diversity, and there's all about yeah. a group of diverse friends believe, who like, come together and fight for a yeah, better future. Yeah. And, and I the think... characters are great, like honestly and. I think I think Ryan is like maybe they didn't color him right. I think he's intended to be black, but um, yeah, I can see. Yeah, but um, anyway, regardless, I mean it's it's no Barrett, please. Um, <laughs> the most sensitive portrayal of yeah. a black man, also a very <laughs> sensitive portrayal of a black man. Once you get past the fact that he's your comedy relief character for the start of the game, it's so weird how like that like grew on it just like he like just grew on me so much by the end you know what i mean it's like because i was like oh this is like not this is like oh can't cancel square enix you know and it's like now like they made a really good character they just like please just tone it down next time well i mean the thing is you're supposed to get the idea that he is like if he was a white guy with a hick accent you'd get him like immediately but he's just got a he's just a black guy with a different hick accent yeah. But that's what they're going for. He's from a coal mining town. Right. That's true. Um, yeah. But anyway, so that was, that's something else I would say. But like, yeah, I think if you enjoy RPGs, this is definitely one of the best ones out there. Um, just in the grand scope of like what it accomplishes. And um, I think the story is really engaging, too, honestly, um, especially in the first one. I think X, maybe not as much, but like it's still it's still fun, you know? Yeah. Also, Speaking of the story, you do not have to start in any order. You can start with one. You can start with X. You can start yeah. with three. Doesn't, doesn't three have stuff from the other two games though in it? It does, but, but you don't like need you to. Don't need to do them first. It's, know it's any of it at all. Not like leading directly from those events. Okay, is what I've heard. It it's like barely anything, and you can yeah, play and, the whole and game, X and you'll is, be totally fine without playing. X is the most first. divorced of all of them. Yeah, that's. It's very. I don't think it has anything in common, really. Just like it, the, it's the, in the, the same the general universe. Yeah, but it also references like real world stuff, like the yeah, United like New States. Yeah, it's like you're near the city of New Los Angeles. Yeah, um, which was weird, but whatever. I I would also recommend Xenoblade to fans of platforming games. Um, yes, actually, they really do a great job of like promoting jumping as. A way to get around and like they love the feeling of jumping off a high cliff like in the opening chapter yeah. of xenoblade yeah. if, if you want an action platformer this is probably not a game for you but if you like yeah, platforming mario odyssey yeah you'll get a, a decent bit of that yeah, yeah. That's true. and I, I was surprised even going back to xenogears that was still a important oh, yeah. part of oh, that, that game. is in xenogears so how many times did you fall down the tower of battle I use safe states, so so infinitely many times. a lot, Got though. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I one thing I think was really interesting in a developer interview for Xenoblade Two, they were talking about one of the inspirations was that in Breath of the Wild is about how do I get up there, but in Xenoblade Chronicles Two, they wanted to think, what if we made a game where we, the player was asking, how do I get do I down get there? there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So yeah, it's like you do a lot the, of that cloud diving and stuff, and the fall distance, yeah. like you, 
Oh, as you play through the game, you get more HP and you can survive bigger falls. And mm-hmm. then, like, falling in water is totally fine. So, like, you can fall thousands of feet. And they love to do that. Yeah, you land in a shallow pool and you just stand up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you do. So, yeah. As you um, try to do in The Witcher and die anyways. Yeah, it was about, well, I mean... Yeah, if you if you if you God forbid your toe even like goes into the water because like you'll you'll not be able to jump. <laughs> yeah. So if you um, if you like being amazed at environments and saying how do I get over there in video games, Xenoblade is for you. Yeah. If, if you hate JRPGs, just turn the combat off, skip the cutscenes if you want to, <laughs> or t- turn the combat to easy rather. I mean. Yeah. Um, all right. So you still yeah. need to fi- you still need to know the basics of the combat. It just makes things easier and you yeah it's yeah yeah um okay so yeah thanks for for joining us uh today um uh you can check out our stuff at gameluster.com and at youtube.com slash gameluster we have cool videos come see them um we need to uh oh yeah we need to oh that was kate (laughs) i was like what yeah kate just got home okay um yeah, so uh, we'll uh, I got a series for of Chrono Trigger uh, like like relatively blind playthrough <laughs> um, up on on YouTube, um, which I'm enjoying a lot so far. And Tim is, is guiding me through this. Well, we'll need to jump back in this weekend if he can. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then uh, you can find I mean, us. I'm, on I'm devoid a wife this weekend, so we can do a marathon session if you want. Hey. Um. Let me see here. Oh, yeah. Find us on Twitter, Gamebusters Pod, and of course on our brand new, beautiful website, GamebustersPod.com. Um, again, nice little feature. You can download episodes straight from the website now for offline listening, um, however you choose. The feature long in the coming. Yeah, long, long coming. I, the only reason that's there is because this website is nice enough to have a thing where it can pull downloads from the RSS feed. <laughs> um,. But yeah, so uh, remember to rate us on iTunes if you have access to the iTunes, um, and uh, give us a good rating. <laughs> so far, they're all good except for the one person who hates us. So it, that's just you, Nero. We all know it. Somebody said that they hated video games and gave us one star. <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't you? <sighs> I don't know. It sounds like me. Um, all right. Do you guys have anything you want to plug uh, quickly? Uh, no, not at the moment. Okay. Uh, I'll plug uh, one of the games I made recently. Uh, it's a Playdate game, so if you oh, yeah. have that okay. little yellow handheld console, I made a game for it. It's called Transmuting, but the Mew is spelled M-E-U, because the main okay. character is a cat. Because there's a cat in it. Okay. Exactly. I already got that. I do it's have a friend a... with the Playdate, so I will mention that to him. Yeah, it's a little bit like Luminous. It's a falling block puzzle game but nice. designed around the play date uh instead of rhythm based it's uh more of a casual new game and you can put it down and pick it up and there's no penalty nice. cool beans all right um this is like maybe the sixth time somebody has been on this show in two years and had something to plug so that was great <laughs> um all right so oh, let's... also it's free so oh that's even better yep. definitely get it then um all right, so last words uh, to take us out. Does anyone have a famous... We've already used I'm Really Feeling It. Do we have another famous sort of catchphrase that you feel like represents this series to take us out of here? Riki is the hero pun!
distant land, we're stuck on a whole different planet. No peace looking at the sky, troubles always all around, so we stay quick with the guns and cannons. Standing as long as you can until we get all dolls up. Then call our bets off, we'll blow the guitar, dealing with lives messed up.
But here we are, wishing to see the sun rise, but the sun doesn't rise in this sky. Black tar covers most eyes.